Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thank you that we can be here tonight, Lord. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of worshiping you, Father, coming together, Lord, lifting up your name, Lord. Thank you for each and every person on Zoom, Father, joining in, Lord, knowing, Father, that we are together in spirit, Lord. There's an immense unity, Father. And, yeah, Lord, what a privilege to know that these things that we're experiencing in the times that we are going through, we have a body of believers, Father, that's around us, Lord. What a, what a thought, Lord, to know that we are not isolated, we are not alone, Lord. And the God that we are worshipping, He is constant, never-changing, Father, the almighty God of the universe. And thank you, Lord, that we can rest secure in your word, Father, that when you say, Lord, we need to face trials and tribulations, the word says, if necessary. And we know, Lord, that every single thing that happens to us in life, Lord, that that is necessary, according to the purpose of God, who works all things to the counsel of His will. Thank you, Father, that you are holy, Lord, that you are wise and loving. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. May we draw near, Lord, with boldness. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, guiding, teaching, revealing, and sanctifying in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to continue tonight with Holiness, part two. And our title is The Spirit and the Church. The Spirit and the Church. You know, we are busy going through the book of 1 Peter, and in light of chapter 1, Paul writing, uh, Peter writing, the sovereignty of God, and he's explaining to us how God saved us and caused us to be born again to a living hope by raising Jesus from the dead, that he's keeping an eternal inheritance for us in heaven, that he's shielding us by his power, that he is busy developing faith in us through this life. In response to that, we hope fully in Jesus Christ and the grace to be revealed when he comes back. Every little ounce of hope that we have, we get it together and we place it fully on Christ. And then the grace that will be brought to us when he comes back. And when our hope is fully set, devotion fully follows. And it looks like a life of holiness because God is holy and like God is holy. That is what he commands us. And that holy life is supported by a holy fear because we know that we were ransomed with the blood of of Christ, not gold or silver, but with the blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore we live in fear that we won't be busy with an idle life, an empty life, that we won't be busy with the passions that we had when we lived in ignorance, but that we live a life pleasing unto God, knowing that His Son came and died for us and ransomed us. What a thought. And then, in light of that, we want to ask ourselves okay, but how does holiness look? Where's the definition found? How do we sanctify ourselves? Can we sanctify ourselves? How does it look? Where does it flow out towards? And last week we started with part one, the word of God. It makes sense to us. That is where the definition of holiness, like God is holy, is found. Special revelation, God coming, revealing himself to us. Saying, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what's wrong with the world. This is how it can be made right. The word of God. And we read that that is how God caused us to be born again by the living and active word of God. And by knowing that we should put away worldly things and take up and long for the word of God, that by it we can grow up into salvation. 
And it's not a command given that we should now read this book and we should obey simply. No, it's an invitation to draw near, to come closer to the God who is. What an invitation. And tonight we're going to look at the second part of that. How does God use the word or to shape and, and to mold us? And to where does this holiness flow out? This otherness, this being set apart, is it to you know, shine somewhere in a corner? Or to whom is this holiness directed? Where is it lived out? To give a bit of definition to it. And as we read through it, I want us to focus on the purpose statements found in Scripture. It's words that start with that, therefore, to, so that. So whenever you read those words in Scripture, it's a purpose statement. This is what God wants to happen. Take up the Word of God, that, by it, you might grow up to salvation. That's the reason for it. That's the purpose statement. So let's read together and see what we can learn. 1 Peter 1, from verse 22 to verse in chapter 2 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen, and precious you yourself like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ for it stands in scripture behold i'm laying in zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wonderful passage of scripture and what I like about it and what Peter is writing here to us, he makes it plain in no uncertain terms that what he's writing, what God is expecting, the call to be holy, how it looks, how we are to grow up and what it should flow out to is for each and every Christian in the world. It's not for a special group of guys, you know, it's not the, the Levites back in the Old Testament and the rest of the tribes, they can just, you know, chill out. No, not that they could saying they, they might have thought that they could. But yeah, God is saying that all of us are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. All of us are being built up into the spiritual house to offer sacrifices. All of us are called to be holy like God is holy. All are included. So the first question is, what are we being built up into? And then what should flow out of what we are being built up into? We read here in verse 5, it says the following, chapter 2. You yourself like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. So we are built up as a spiritual house. And what Peter is doing here is reflecting on the Old Testament temple where the presence of God used to dwell there, where sacrifices were given to God. And he says, now we are the living stones. We are the temple of God. We are where God's presence dwells. Referring to the Holy Spirit in us. It's the Holy Spirit's presence with us that enables us to be holy like God is holy. It's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies, that saves, that sends us out. It's this spiritual house. We spoke about it a couple of years ago, you know, Paul saying exactly the same in Ephesians 2. As we come to salvation, God is building us up into a spiritual house to be a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And the only reason we receive the Spirit of God is because we are part of the people of God. It's like painting a wall blue. And God says the only reason you'll be blue is because you're part of the wall. That is where he puts his Spirit dwelling place, us, the living stones, the people of God. Yes, as individuals, but because we are the family, the chosen people, the race, the nation, chosen by God. You see, and we have to understand this when it comes to the word of God that sanctifies, that leads us, that sends us, and the spirit of God that leads and sanctifies and saves. We have to understand the two together. They always work together. You see, because if we ask in light of the scripture, what causes us to be born again? What, are, what has God used to cause us to be born again? We say, like we said last week, the living word of God. You are born again, not of imperishable seed, of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It's like the book of James says, receive with humility the implanted word of God that's able to save your souls. But then we read in, the book of John, chapter 3, verse 5, you need to be born again of the Spirit. Ezekiel 3, 6, when God prophesies of the salvation that is going to come, He says, I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to pour my Spirit out upon you and that will cause you to walk in my ways. And when we read Titus 3, verse 5, He says, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So which is it? How are we sanctified? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Like Jesus prayed in John 17. Your word is truth. Put away the things of the world and take up and long for the word of God that bite you might grow up into salvation. But we also read in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. That as we behold the glory of God. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Both. Both need to be present. You see, we can't even understand the Word of God rightly without the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand this in light of last week's context. When it comes to the Word of God, it's an invitation to draw closer to God. You see, when it comes to the process of holiness or sanctification, it's not a call to try harder, but it's a call to yield more to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Surrender more, allow Him to build you up into a living house as you are being built up. As you come to him, allow him to do the work. He's building you up as we surrender to him. You see, this is how Peter started the letter. 1 Peter 1 verse 2, he says the following. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace 
be multiplied to you. In the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that sanctifies. It's Him that enables us to obey the Word of God when given to us. It's not a trying harder, it's just a yielding to. You see, because there will always be two tendencies in us. And that is to follow the leading of the Spirit and then there will be the desires of the flesh. To lead us astray. The question is to which one will you yield? To the leading of the Spirit or to the desires of the flesh? But both need to be there. You see, because many times we have this weird tendency in the charismatic movement. Where people say, yes, yeah, no, he likes to read the world, but I just follow the leading of the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. The Spirit will always lead you to the Word of God. He's the author of Scripture. He will sanctify you in truth. The Word is truth. You see, that's where chaos comes from. When we chase this airy-fairy feeling that the Spirit is just busy leading, but it's not grounded in the Word of God. And then we get to dictate what's wrong and what's right. No, Spirit and truth. We need the Word of God. To guide us. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us through the Word of God. See, we read in 1 Corinthians 2, there's this beautiful verse, verse 9. Many people love to post it. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has promised for those who love Him. And then verse 10 says, These things He has revealed to us through the Spirit. Nobody knows the deep things of God except the Spirit of God. Nobody knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit that is in man. We've received the Spirit of God that we might freely know the things given us by God. The words that we teach, they are interpreted spiritually. The Holy Spirit comes and discloses and reveals. In John 16, Jesus says to the disciples, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit will always lead us towards the Word of God. And when you yield it to Him, it will lead to sanctification. It will lead to holiness, to be like Set apart, other than, like God is. We need the Holy Spirit to come and do that work in our lives. And like I said, there will always be these two feelings inside of us. And I know that we can experience and, and think about this. Whenever there is this, this, this yearning towards something, whenever the desire to read Scripture or to pray comes, there's also a desire to do something else. And Scripture says in Romans 8, important for us to understand from verse 13 onwards, it says, if we live by the flesh, we will die. But if we put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, then we will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit comes and He does work in us. Same in Galatians 5 verse 25. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Greeks a little bit more doesn't give us a choice actually. It doesn't say let us, it says we must. If we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. Must hold fast to. Must follow. Must align ourselves with the Spirit of God. And in light of this, we need to ask ourselves, and we understand this again, it's something that makes sense to us. The Word of God and the Spirit of God, it sanctifies, it saves, it sends us out, it leads us out. But we at least want to know into which broad directions the Spirit will lead. It says, keep in step with the Spirit. So where will the Spirit lead me? And there will be two broad ways, not, not the broad way that Matthew 7 speaks of, that's the way of destruction. Two narrow ways, let me, let's rather call it two narrow ways. There's two narrow ways that the scripture will, will lead us to. We're going to look at one tonight and then a second one next week.
See, we read here in verse 5 of chapter 2, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But what is these spiritual sacrifices? How does it look? What does it flow out towards? We know in Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, we know that we should bring our bodies as a living sacrifice. We shouldn't conform to the patterns of this world. We should be transformed by the renewal of our mind that we might discern the will of God. But what is the will of God? Where will it lead to? We read it here in verse 22 of chapter 1. It says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth and the Spirit leading us to obey the truth, the Spirit coming to sanctify. Why? For, this is the reason why, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And when Scripture says from a pure heart, it means because you actually want to. Love one another because you actually want to. And there'll be instances in Scripture tells us that, you know, just bear with one another in love. That'll happen as well. But Scripture says, as we yield to the Word of God, as we yield to the Spirit, grow in love so that it flows out of a pure heart, an earnest love for one another. This should be the greatest contrast between the Christian community and the world. The greatest but, difference, the greatest set apart, the greatest holiness should be our love for one another. Jesus said in John 13, why and how will they know that we are his disciples? By the love we have for one another. And greater love has known than this than to lay down your life for your friends. And we look to the world around us currently and we think to ourselves, what an opportunity to love one another well. What an opportunity to be different, to be set apart, to be holy. Because we have one another as we are going through these times. Pray for one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, serve one another, disciple one another. It's this one another calling that God has given us. That is where this love flows out towards. The love for the brothers. But then there's something that also stands opposite to this love. You know, we like to say that we should love one another, but we rarely look at what stands in opposition to it. Because if Scripture says if we yield to the Spirit of God, He will lead us to love one another well, then we also have to conclude that if we don't yield to the Spirit and we follow the desires of the flesh, the opposite will be true. We read in Galatians 5 the following. And Paul writing and he's speaking about life in the Spirit and life in the flesh. And he says the following. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness and orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see, there's a, a couple of sins listed there that we get. Okay, this, this is bad. We shouldn't do this. And when we read the idolatry, sorcery, sensuality, sexual immorality, impurity, drunkenness, orgies, we're like, yeah, that's bad. We get that on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We get that on account of these, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But even those are listed in context of community. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, the people who are busy with this should be put outside of the community because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. It's going to bring division in the holy community of God that he is busy sanctifying through the word and through the spirit. And we get that. But then there's a, a list of sins that is directly addressed to the community. It says there, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy. Those are listed with those things. And he says if we partake in that as well, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it sounds weird to us. Lord, even a little bit of envy, like really division, a little bit of gossip, that's how division starts, by the way. Rivalries. We're in the church together worshiping God, but we are in enmity with one another. There's a little bit of rivalry between us. And God says, no, we cannot live that way. Why? Because you are actively opposing the word of God and the work of the Spirit. You are standing in opposition against it. Scripture says in uh, Ephesians 4 verse 2, Be eager to maintain the unity in the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is a people bought with the blood of Christ, and the unity is maintained through the Spirit. And now here we come bringing the vision. And God says, be very, very careful of that, because you are opposing the Word of God, and you are actively working against the Spirit of God. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, we read in 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21, and it says, if we say we love God, but hate our brother, we lie. Because how can we love God who we don't see, but we hate our brother who we can't, can see? It doesn't work like that. 1 John 3 from verse 16 onwards, it says, if we have worldly things. It doesn't say if you have the world's possessions, like all of it. It just says if you have worldly things, and you see your brother and sister in need, and you close your heart towards them, how does the love of God abide in you? Let us not love with talk and speech, but in word Indeed and in truth. That is how we should love one another. And how does it start? Someone does something to you, opposes something that you say, and instead of going to them, you go to someone else. All of a sudden, division starts. Rivalry starts. Envy starts. And we are actively working against what God is trying to establish in us. A holiness is set, is set apart. We don't do the things like the world does them. But we go to one another in love. We address one another in love. That is how we deal with it. As a Christian community, we should be the best in handling conflict. Going to one another in love, saying, hey, this thing that you did towards me didn't make me feel nice or comfortable. It was out of line with the word of God. We deal with that in love. And we move on. See, there's a general rule. If you did not say it to someone, you cannot say it of someone. You need to go and say it to them. Be direct. And if you are in any way, shape, or form, in envy, or there's division, or there's rivalry, or anger, or hate towards any other believer, go and sort that out. Go and sort that out. And again, you don't need to search long and deep. If you ask God with a sincere heart, that'll, that, that mind will pop into your head. And go and sort that out. And I'm not asking who is at fault. I'm asking who's living in sin. There's a difference. Many times people do stuff towards or they acted in a way they're completely unaware. 
They're going on with their lives and they won't know until you go to them. But the moment you start spreading things, speaking about them instead of speaking to them, you are the one stepping into sin. You are the one bringing division. You are the one causing rivalries. You see, and we many times say, no, but you don't know what they've done. You don't know what they say, how they acted. I don't know how they will respond to this. But the actions of man will never justify our disobedience towards God. Never. How man acted towards me does not justify me to disobey God. Never will that be the case. Never will that be the case. And God can command that. Why? Because we caused the death of the innocent Son of God, yet here we stand forgiven. How dare we live in unforgiveness? Our lives are constantly out of line with the Word of God. Yes, His grace is new every day. How dare I not have grace towards the people around me? We cannot live like that. And we need to also understand that if we allow this thing to breed in us and to grow in us, we will become deceived. You see, the Scripture says the following. 1 John 2, verse 10 and 11. It says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes they don't know where they're going they think to themselves you know these atrocious sins that scripture speaks of we're not busy with that yes i have a little bit of envy and anger and division in my heart but I'll go to heaven one day. And scripture says, no, you don't know where you're heading because if you partake in these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the moment I'm unwilling to reconcile, the moment I'm unwilling that the word of God come in shape and the spirit leads, I'm stepping out of line with the will of God, actively opposing the work that God wants to come and do. See, A.W. Tozer writes and he says, we cannot pray in love and live in hate and think we are still worshiping God doesn't work that way. We are supposed to be completely different. But the good news is that whenever we draw near to Christ firstly and we repent, that same instant we are forgiven. And whenever there was division or there's things that happened in us and we need healing and restoration, when we heal to the Spirit, there is healing, there is restoration, there is renewal. Christ has made a way. And he's asking us, do not hold on to that bitterness because it's keeping us from being the people that God has called us to be. If you can't get this right, you'll struggle with the rest. You know, the, the guy that founded our church, Pastor Fred May, he used to say, Christians, he doesn't know why, but we need to take class on how to love one another. And then still we need to walk behind one another. He says, come now, come now. Let's love one another, come on. And we really need to grow up in this aspect. As a church, let's set an example. Let's be that different, that set apart, that holy like God is holy people, that people know by the love that we have for one another that we are disciples of Christ. Not allow silly things to come and bring this unity, to come and stir up envy and rivalries. But let's be eager to maintain the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Let's stand tonight and then we pray together.
Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father. Now, firstly, just come and repent, Lord. Of the times, Lord, we allow things to get bigger than they should be, Father, because we don't act on it immediately. And just to realize, Lord, and let the truth sink in, Father, whenever you come and place a certain thing, situation, person on our hearts, it's never too small to just leave, Lord. That's the reason you brought it up. You didn't come and show us something that, or someone that we are a little bit envious about, Lord, or that we are angry towards, or that there's a little bit of hate or displeasure, Father, or lack of unity. You don't come and show that to us so that we can do nothing about it. May we be quick to obey, Lord. May we be careful because of the deceitfulness of sin. When the darkness comes and we don't know where we are going. Because we had all started the command to love one another. We couldn't get that quite right. And we repent, Father, of allowing the world to influence us so much, Lord. So focused on ourselves, the biggest contrast, Lord, that our love is not aimed at ourselves, but to the people around us. And not for my sake either, but for theirs. To love them earnestly, Lord, out of a pure heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us tonight, Lord, as we stand here, Father, sit at home or wherever we are, Lord, what the condition of our love is. And come and show us, Lord, where we have that envy, Lord that anger, where we are bringing in division, Lord, where there's rivalries, Lord, between brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you come and show us, Lord, may we be quick to obey, to reconcile, be eager to maintain the unity in the Spirit. Be eager. And thank you, Lord, that we know, Father, that we are not accountable for how the other party reacts, Lord. I repent. I confess. And then how they respond, Lord, that is up to them. But what man did to me, that doesn't justify my disobedience towards you, Lord. Never will it. And you are God, Lord. You can demand what you want, but give us grace then to obey. And thank you, Lord, that in the gospel that is true, Lord. Like John Bunyan says, Father, if you command us to fly, then you give us wings. If you say that we should desire, Lord, then you create that desire. But may we yield, Lord. May we come to you, Father. And even in this, Lord, even in the process of reconciliation, it's not a trying hard. It's simply a yielding to the Spirit. Allowing the Spirit to have His way. Sounds ridiculous, Lord, when we say it. Allowing God to do what God wants to do. Come and have your way, Lord Jesus. And may we be, Lord, that different people, Father, that shine a light, this holy, this set apart, this different community. And may we know, Lord, that whatever brother or sister needs today, Father, I cannot keep that for someday. That is lack of faith, Lord. In the God who provides and in the community, Father, that helps one another. But what I'm storing up for someday, show me, Lord, who needs that today. Open up our hearts, Lord, and give us grace that we might love one another well. 
And thank you, Lord, that you came and set the perfect example. We can love because you love us, Lord. We can know you because you know us. We can have grace, Lord, because you extend your grace each day. We can forgive because we are forgiven. There is no excuse, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for awkward conversations that build character, that fosters unity, that grows faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us out, Lord, and each and every person, Father, that's experiencing, Lord, that uncomfortable feeling. May we yield to that as you come and have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.